Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to our next podcast. Today we are going to be discussing, kind of a theological discussion, actually, with uh, Pastor Nate and Pastor Adam and myself, the spiritual gifts. And uh, we had a question that was, uh, I guess, given to us back in... When we had our pastors, fall, yeah. yeah, in the fall, the pastors' uh, question and answer time, and one of the questions that we never actually got around to because we had other podcasts that were kind of getting in the way had to do with spiritual gifts. Do you remember what that question was, basically? Yeah, the the essence of the question was why do some churches, um, and I think maybe by kind of implication there, maybe think about us or others like our church, but why do some churches emphasize the spiritual gifts that Paul lists in Romans, but not emphasize the spiritual gifts Paul lists in First Corinthians. All right, and that's the end of the podcast. Thank you guys for... <laughs> oh, wait, were we supposed to discuss it? <laughs> yeah, I think they're looking for a little bit more. Okay, all right. Well, I just thought I'd just throw that out there. And No, we haven't put it off because we were afraid to discuss it. Um, we we had other things that we were wanting to do, so I don't want somebody to think, well, they just never got to that question because they were somewhat scared. Of, we're not scared of it because Scripture speaks to it, and we do have some thoughts on it, and we're going to give those here in the in the podcast now. First uh, Corinthians twelve is kind of what they're referring to, I believe. It's now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers. I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Kind of leans there toward me like when you claim that you're speaking in the Spirit. But anyway, that'll be another discussion we might talk about here in a minute. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is, excuse me, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's a very good verse right there that people miss when they're reading this. Um, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gift of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually, and this is the catch, as he wills. Yeah. <laughs> and so I want to. I'm going to lean into that in a few minutes when we when we kind of talk through this. But it's as he wills. It's pretty big in the reading of this. So let's talk about this. The spiritual gifts. What does Romans? Now it was kind of alluded to in Romans that mm-hmm. we kind of. Uh, our church will lean into those yeah. gifts. So let's go ahead and put those out there too. Yeah, so Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 4, For as one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in portion to our faith, if, in ser- if service in our serving, 
the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. All right. So the same author, written about two years apart, writing two different lists of spiritual gifts, not nullifying one with mm-hmm. with one list, but giving different ones, talking about how it's used in the church in Corinth, for sure, and in the church in Rome, for sure. So that's kind of, I think the gist of the question has to do with, hey, how come you guys aren't talking about this? Every spiritual gifts test I've ever taken mm-hmm. in evangelical circles, online or whatever, um, there's nothing I could say on those spiritual gifts tests to come up with it saying at the end that I have the gift of speaking in tongues. None of it. So that's kind of the, I think that's where the question's coming from is why does it seem like some of the gifts are ignored when we talk about it and you can't even, you can't even pass a test to get that. Mm -hmm. And, um, is that okay, or why are we doing that if that's if that's what we're doing? Yeah, because I think, you know, as you look through that, I think important, too, when we talk about spiritual gifts, regardless of whichever one of the two main positions they're kind of represented, I'm sure we'll get to here in a minute, that we land on certain spiritual gifts, nobody is discounting that God has gifted people uh, in, in particular ways. That's what Paul's saying here, you know, that... Um, that we are gifted each individually as God has given to us so that we could serve together as a body. We each need one another to kind of corporately serve with one another. And so just to make sure we're clear when we talk about this, it's not our spiritual gifts a thing, but really it's are a handful of the spiritual gifts still going on today. Would that be a fair summary of, I think, what the heart yeah. of that question is? Yeah. Yes. So because there's before, only a handful of those that don't overlap. So you pulled out, Nate, that there were in the same author, two different places. Do you, either of you, feel like there's a sense of where he is rising, raising one list over top of the other? No. No. I okay. So. I don't think so either, but I just wanted to, I kind of wanted but to the, lay that out the there. Question, that the may question, have been the longest Nate and I both yeah, thought the, about the question, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't think the, I don't think the question was why, why does Paul like one better than the other, but why does the modern church? Well, that's where like I was one? getting okay. at. I was pointing gotcha. that out. The modern yeah. church shouldn't raise them up one set over the other. If, if Paul's not doing that right. and we're using Scripture as our plumb line, then we need to pull ourselves back into that. And if, and if as Adam said, there, there, are, there are schools of thought that believe that there are certain ones that happen to be in the First Corinthians list that don't make it into the Romans list that um, God is not operating in today through God the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. If so, then the biblical case has to be made. Why? Were we told that this would happen? Were we told that they'd only be given for a time? And if so, like, w- how much time? Like, so the, the, he kind of alluded to, there's a couple of schools of thought. One is cessationist, meaning ceasing, that um, gifts like prophecy, gifts like speaking in tongues were used at the time, but now they are ceased. Um, that's not a normal operation of what God's doing now. Say that word again. Now? <laughs> funny, funny. Cessationist, yes, um, right. meaning cease, and then um, continuationist. It continues. They just sound like big words, but 
if you can remember, cease and continue. You <laughs> why, think they cease? We, why do we always do that? We do that. We're like, I thought that same well, question when I was... continuationist in the uh, branch of evangelicalism. When I took biology in college, I was like, why can't we just call that a flower? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, so anyway, back. <laughs> That'd be botany anyway. So two That's schools good. of thought. Yeah. One is that they've ceased, and the one is that they continue. continue. Yes. That God's still using them today. Yeah. And then... Um, and then amongst those, there's a probably broad spectrum of people who are like, ah, God doesn't use them that much. Or maybe he does. Or maybe um, we can, every time you see something happening doesn't mean necessarily mm-hmm. God's doing it. Yeah. Um, just like every time you see somebody walk into church, in a Baptist church with a really big Bible and a, a really nice suit on, it doesn't mean that they're following Christ during the week. Um, there, there, are, there are always going to be people amongst us who are not legitimate and who are not genuine, but we shouldn't. We shouldn't judge whether somebody can, you know, go to church and carry their Bible and actually be a close follower of Christ based on this one guy who isn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna chase a rabbit for just a moment. You guys go <laughs> with me. Chase this rabbit too well, for just a second. There you go. Or bring us back bring it back in if you think it's a dumb rabbit to chase. In first Corinthians twelve, uh, verse three, I alluded to it and I kind of paused on it when I first read through it, but I wanna chase this down a bit. It says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Okay, if you, mm-hmm. you can't say it if you're speaking in the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, I have asked people before when they've, when they've asked about their salvation, I will ask this question, to you, who is Jesus? And if it comes out of their mouth, Jesus is the Lord of my life. He is Lord of all, and he is Lord of my life. I have to lean to this scripture text and say the only way you could say that is by the Spirit. Is that a rabbit? Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't wow, know. that's a long pause. We're yeah, going to edit that pause out. It's a pause because the <laughs> demons constantly announce who Jesus is. And he's the most high and holy one, and so forth. Yeah, but um, this is not. This is not a. Paul's not speaking to the demons here, right? Correct. He's speaking to the humans. He's. I think. I think when it says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit, it's more than just saying it. Mm-hmm. Just like um, no one can say Jesus be cursed, or Jesus be Jesus is accursed. It's well, not when just I like ask, somebody use Jesus when as I a ask curse somebody, word. They're saying that like. Yeah, that's a great point. When I yeah. ask somebody, I see what you're saying there. When I ask somebody, I, I'm going to hope they're not going to lie to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, to you, who is Jesus? If they say Jesus is Lord and they're lying in their heart, then... Yeah, because Jesus said, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, they're calling him Lord. Yeah. And then he says, you're going to depart from me. Yeah, I see what so you're saying it is, there. it is that no one can truly... That's a good clarification. Yeah. Can, can truly um, say Jesus is Lord of their life unless the Holy Spirit is the one doing that in them. Yeah. Like, they wouldn't come to that conclusion. They wouldn't put him at the headship um, of their life. If that's, I don't know. Have we caught the rabbit, or is it still down there? I think, <laughs> I think that, rabbit, that's, that rabbit stopped and looked at us for a minute, yeah, so we like, caught what it are you pretty guys doing? You know what you're talking about over here? <laughs> okay, let's look at verse 7, then. It says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What, what is the common good? We might need to give a definition of what the common good is. I would say the building up edification of the church, of other believers around us. That it's, some things, we, we don't use any spiritual gift uh, for the purpose of essentially elevating and kind of making kind of our, ourselves the attention point. 
Yeah. Um, instead, we want to use spiritual gifts to serve and to uh, encourage, strengthen, build up other believers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it pushes down somebody else and says, hey, I have this gift, therefore you're not as good, mm-hmm. probably it's not helping the common good. Like, for instance, I have the gift of evangelism. If I'm like, hey, I got this, I'll lead this person to Christ, I've got the gift of evangelism, then I don't understand the gift of evangelism, Yeah, which is to equip you to do that Yeah, and to come alongside you. So I should only have that gift so that I can build up the rest of the church. And if I'm, <clears throat> if I'm selfishly using that gift and preempting that, then is that God doing that in me? And how long is he going to allow me to operate with yeah, that Yeah, we don't do any of the things um, that Paul's going to list here. You know, all three of us have stood on stage and, and preached in our kind of corporate gathering. Nobody, if, if, if it's being used as a gift of God and, and, and the manner intended, preaching or teaching these various things, is not going to be done to, hey, look how smart I am or look how you know clever or uh, how good... Um, how eloquent I am. Instead, it's I'm opening up scriptures to encourage, build up, edify the body of believers here before me. So I think that's kind of the, the case with all of the gifts. No matter what, if it's if it's recognized, if it's seen by a lot of people or seen by a few people, you know, whatever whatever the case is, the purpose is to encourage other believers. So this particular translation is the ESV, English Standard Version, and it's using the word utterance. Mm -hmm. So in verse 8 it says, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith. But that word utterance, we probably need to look into the original text and see what the word utterance there is. (coughs) When you think, why is ESV using the word utterance? Because that seems confusing to me. I think that's where we tend to part ways with some people that believe speaking in tongues and those mm-hmm. types of things. Well, in the utterance of knowledge and utterance of wisdom, other translations are saying like um, a a word of yeah. or a message of. And I, I think maybe just going out there, I wasn't with the translators when they did ESV. I am familiar with a lot of their theology behind it. Well, the original word, by the way, is logos. <clears throat> Word, yeah, utterance. They're, they're, that's, and that's why I was wondering. Which also means word. Yeah, which means word. Um, but yeah. a word of knowledge and a word of um, wisdom carry with it a lot of baggage from a lot of modern day <coughs> so, movements um, where people are like, I'm going to say a word for you from God. And now that's supposedly on par with scripture for you, at least. Um, so that I, I think just theologically, some people disagree with that. And they may have went with utterance just so people didn't weren't able to just cherry pick that. Yeah. It, that is not a good thing to do, by the way, just because somebody might misuse it to translate scripture in a way that won't be as faithful to the original meaning as possible. Um, yeah, so it changes it. That. It changes it for me. <clears throat> for the one is given through the Spirit the word of wisdom, mm-hmm. and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. That, to me, changes how I would feel about that particular text. And maybe I, maybe it's semantics for some people. Um, and I, about people who practice those types of things and say, right. I, I have a word from you. Um, if my first response is to just roll my eyes, instead of hear that out, figure out does that contradict Scripture, or is that in keeping with Scripture, um, can I eat 
chicken and spit out the bones? The answer is yes. Like, is, is there some truth in that? And at Daniel, you said this recently, actually, that um, if somebody's criticizing you, a lot of times our, our flesh wants to just push away the entire criticism and the person. But we should think, is, is there some truth in what they're saying? Is there something mm-hmm. I should hear in this? Uh, and basically spit out the bones. <coughs> Figure out, is there something that they're saying there that I can actually use? And same thing with this. You know, when I, <coughs> when I first, I hesitate to use examples. You never know who's listening. <laughs> when I first stepped out into full-time evangelism, <laughs> when you guys got, y'all need water or something? Y'all are like coughing up I've a got storm. some water here. I think I'm going to back up a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> oh, goodness. At least it's crystal clear. Yeah. Um, so when, when I first went to full-time evangelism, uh, there was a group of people who were praying over me, and it was really kind of a cool moment and everything. Uh, one guy had left the room and went to the bathroom. I'd actually seen him leave right before this, this happened and everything. And um, as they're praying for me, and I had my eyes closed for a long time, I ended up opening my eyes. I noticed this guy came back <laughs> over, uh, over to where we were, and people were praying for the ministry we were going to have. We are going to be on the road a lot. And he came over, hadn't heard one word of any of the prayers, laid hands on me, and started praying that, started praying that as, as we stayed in one place, he saw people coming and God was going to bring people to this one building and we were going to be there permanently for a long time and all of this stuff. And um, right after he was done and very sure of himself, somebody else started praying about God sending us and going with us as we went. As soon as we were done, he walked up to me and said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of seeing now that it's actually away from the building you're walking. And I was thinking, nice try, buddy. But there's always somebody who's just trying to get attention. There's always mm-hmm. somebody who will. And that's why we're supposed to discern. Um, is this really of God? Is it not of God? Like he, he was looking, I think, to be one of those people who could speak a word to, but not having the full information did not come up with something that was actually factual. Yeah, as as what was going to happen. So, um, and that's always you're always going to find people who are faking it or out for themselves in every circumstance. You go back to Acts. Um, a bunch of people want to be generous. Then Ananias and Sapphira are like, we can make it look like we're generous too. And God deals with that issue in the Book of Acts, and you can check that out uh, at another time. But like this is, we're we're trying to figure out. Okay, is it is it real if somebody's doing it? Is it for today? I think specifically when it comes to tongues, that's kind of the hot button issue. Mm-hmm. Um, is this, we, we know it's practiced today. Is it practiced the way the Bible talks about it? Um, is it supposed to be practiced today? If it's not supposed to be practiced today, then who's doing it? Is it the person? Is it something more sinister than that? If it's the Holy Spirit, then it clearly is for today. Right. So you, you mm-hmm. kind of have to dig into all that. And it's hard to do because we can't see hearts. Uh, we can use scripture, and that's how we how we test everything. So I would personally lean towards continuationism, that it's can still go on today um, at God's behest. That doesn't mean every time it's happening that it's biblical or that God's doing it. But I would say if it's if it's happening and it's not biblical, then that's not God doing it, because the Spirit does things mm-hmm. decently and in order. And there's a lot of stuff in First Corinthians 14. You go over two chapters from the list, and Paul talks about, you know, shouldn't be more than two or three people doing this. There should always be an interpreter present when it happens. Shouldn't be doing this if there are lost people present. They'll think you're crazy. He literally says, they will think you're mad. 
Um, so there's a lot of stipulation Paul puts on this. Um, and that does not step out of line with his common good. No, that he's it talking about. He's it, bringing it, it, it actually. It actually good. hammers down a little bit harder on what the common good is and and kind of defines it. He's reinforcing it. Um, when you go back to this is one of the reasons I'm a continuationist, and not because I think this is just some overt practice that we should all get into, uh, but when Paul says that, um, this is in 1 Corinthians 13, the beginning, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Uh, I'm going to stop there for just a second. Some people will say, well, it's just the tongues of men that we're talking about here, uh, when it's the gift of tongues, you only see other languages, and so they'll kind of push away what happens in some settings today. But Paul says that there are tongues of men and of angels. But he says, if I do that, then, and have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries of knowledge, if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give up away all I have, if I deliver my body to be burnt, and so forth, I have nothing." Um, he, then, then he goes he, to the whole list. He, he ends that chapter yes. with the greatest of these is love. Correct. He goes through the whole thing. Then he says the greatest of these is love. It'll never pass away and so forth. But then it says in verse 9, for we all we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child and so forth. Um, in some um, translations, it says that will cease. Uh, but it talks about prophecy and tongues coming to an end, both of them passing away. And so when people say that tongues have passed away or ceased, they would have to show that knowledge or prophecy has done the same thing because knowledge fails and so forth. In, in 1 Corinthians 14, almost the very end of his whole diatribe on what we're supposed to be doing and not doing when it comes to speaking in tongues, Paul says, and forbid not to speak in tongues. How he brings it to an end. <laughs> He's like, and my final word, forbid not to speak in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. And he brings it back to that because it's for the common good. It's for the common good. Yeah. So let's circle back around then, Adam, to the original question at hand, seemed to kind of say, um, we know that there's two lists, so to speak. There's really just one list, <laughs> but there's two yeah. different lists found in the Bible of spiritual gifts. And uh, our church tends to champion one list and then remain silent on the other list. So let's talk a little bit about why th- Why do we think that is? Why, why are we kind of silent on that? That was a great theological <clears throat> pointing out of Scripture, Nate. Thank you for that. But I, I kind of want to circle back yeah. around to... To why are we silent on, the, you know, that particular list, the utterances, the words of wisdom? wisdom? Or are we silent on them? We're just not championing them. I was going to go that down that path yeah, yeah. in a minute. Sorry. <laughs> I think part of it, too, can be people thinking through what's the purpose of them. Um, and so a lot of people who would argue from a cessationist point of view are going to say, we're not ignoring them, but they held a... They held a purpose, and there was a a rationale for using them at a certain time that we just don't have today in the church. And so uh, a lot of that would be, uh, they would say they were used in the early church settings in particular to kind of give a affirmation to the teachings of the apostles and to the 
the you know essentially kind of like the argument that like the miracles of Jesus, um, he wasn't doing them just to kind of do kind of cool things or whatnot. He was doing them in a point to kind of illustrate and point to who he really was. You know, he he actually said things like, you know, what's easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven, because who knows if that's actually true, or to say, rise up and walk to someone who can't, and he heals them as a means of pointing to who he really is. And so they would say that early on, the church had that need. They needed to make it clear the the truth of their message. And so what some are going to argue for today is that it's not the normal practice. We're not ignoring them, but it's not the normative practice within our church. Because now we've got 2,000 years of history of attesting to who Christ was and the, the truth of that message. And so we don't need them in the same way that they did. So question. So you said you said that the miracles of Jesus <laughs> were kind of affirmation that he was who he said he was. Mm-hmm. The disciples and the, the cessationist thing would say, hey, tongues were like that too, but mm-hmm. the disciples were doing miracles just like Jesus was. What's the point of taking this one thing called a spiritual gift and saying that was just affirmation of what they were doing rather than the miracles that they did were affirmation well, of that? I don't think they're going to say spiritual gifts are. I think they're going to break it down into a category just that one of spiritual gift. More than one, healing as well, others, what they refer to as miraculous gifts, I think would be that they're going to say those are the kinds of things that are not normative for the church today. That doesn't mean they can't happen. That does not mean God does not heal. That does not mean that God does not operate in however he sees fit um, to make himself known to other individuals. I think the case is, or kind of the question is, is that, like, essentially, when we gather week in and week out at Peninsula, is it wrong that those sorts of things are not normative in our practice? you could also say that there isn't a spiritual gift that's not miraculous. It's it's miraculous to have the gift of evangelism and not have to think about what you're going to say when you're in a conversation with somebody and the Spirit just speak through you. Just because it happens to be in English doesn't mm-hmm. make it any less of a miracle. Yeah. Than I'm somebody just, I, I think it's just the categories language. people use to kind of break those into a little bit of different things. So, you know, typically that kind of healing... Um, uh, some are going to talk about prophecy there, um, and as well, tongues, too. And so, Kind of like when we, we call same... things exotic, we call them exotic because they're outside of what we normally see. Yeah. But they're not exotic to the people from where they're from. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, a squirrel might be exotic from some, like to somebody <laughs> somewhere. So just because something seems like something I can't do, which is all of the spiritual gifts that I don't have... Um, doesn't necessarily mean it's more miraculous than another one in a way. I get I get the category. But the case I usually hear about why they've ceased. That mm-hmm. which is perfect has come has to be something that's already happened if it's ceased. So the best case of something that's already supposedly mm-hmm. I don't want to say supposedly perfect and then say what it is because I do think it's perfect. Um is the canonization of scripture, which we had a podcast on a while back. Um but there's no prophecies in Scripture leading up to this future canonization of Scripture that we're all looking forward to so that God can stop some of the spiritual gifts and keep the other ones going. But we are looking forward to the return of Christ when we won't need knowledge or prophecy or tongues or any of these things anymore. Why, why would... See, a, conti- a continuationist is just basically a future cessationist. We believe that they'll cease at some point. Yeah, yeah. Too. So everybody says, yes, everybody says they're going to cease. They're going to end at some point. It's right. just what's the purpose of them continuing? So I think the one of prophecy, for example, 
do we need someone to be able to operate in that same manner of prophecy today that we did in the er, you know the early church times before they had you know we talked about in our pocket what, what it, you know it took a little while before we had kind of the um, the entire Bible brought around, agreed upon, and kind of what we for you know the canon put together. Yeah, and so for a little while. Um, those gifts might have been operating as a means of God teaching and instructing His people when they did not yet have all of those scriptures yet together, which we do have now. But the but the the thing that Paul said was, they will cease when that which is perfect has come. Mm-hmm. So if he's talking about canonized scripture, mm-hmm. there's no allusion to that. There's no okay, it's happened now. When he writes Romans a year to two years later, now we've now we've got it. Forget about that. I won't put that in this list. There's the, I, there's this understanding, I think, from cessationists that they can't see the purpose behind it. Therefore, God didn't make a, I guess, good enough case for keeping it around. Like, we we don't understand the purpose of a lot of things in Scripture. Um, even we can't wrap our mind around the Trinity fully, but we still believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, just because we don't know why God asks us to do something or why God operates in a certain way... Mm-hmm doesn't mean that we can say, well, I guess we don't understand this or why he might would use it now. We think we understand why why he used it then, but we're just going to move on from that. But there were times, I mean, for example, the apostles, that they held a particular role, and that's actually one of the ones people talk about. You know, are apostles still a functioning office of the church today? Something that God was using uniquely in a particular time that it was needed, right. establish the church, is that still needed today? And I'm going to say no is going to be my answer to that. And I think that that's that same argument is that for a time period, there were certain things that were needed that are no longer needed today. I'm going to play devil's advocate there because I agree. I think I agree with you on the apostles part. Um, it's in the list of offices of the church. Mm-hmm. There's no breakdown of the list. There's no anywhere in scripture that says eventually there won't be apostles. Um, we could make the case the apostles all were with Jesus, but... Uh, you can't find anywhere where Barnabas was, and he's called an apostle. So there are apostles, clearly, who did not walk with Jesus um, that were still called apostles, that were given that gift within the early church. How do we know it ceased? Why would it have ceased? Like, is there a reason why God Mm -hmm. wouldn't have apostles today? I don't want to get down the apostle track, but I'm saying when we don't have something clear from Scripture on it, but we... We're very staunch, like, I don't think there's an apostle now. Somebody says, hey, I'm the apostle such and such. And we're, very, we're immediately skeptical. And I, and I think we should be because we saw it disappear for so long. You didn't have anybody claiming to be an apostle mm-hmm. unless they had some kind of heresy attached to the yeah. theology for centuries. Yeah. And, and the, I think one of the credible things from cessationists is that the gift of tongues, to our knowledge was gone from history and that no recorded sense of it until um until monasticism which was mm-hmm. kind of a heresy and his followers actually thought he was um the holy spirit um then it kind of ceased again then we see it pop up around eight i think at 1800 or 1801 popped up at a tent revival and kind of squandered out and it was gone again and then azusa street uh at the turn of the century last century in mm-hmm. california and several denominations came out of that, out of what was claimed to be a revival mm-hmm. where people were speaking in tongues and so forth. Could it be that God is in the last days pouring out his spirit on all flesh? Mm-hmm. Are we in the last days as of yeah. Azusa Street? Or is this something else? 
But that's, I guess, what we have to Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, again, don't want to tra- chase that too long. But, you know, in that list that Paul does give in Ephesians 4, and apostles are mentioned there. Do I think the apostles are used for the building up and the strengthening of the church? Yes. But when Paul, does Paul give a list for qualifications for the office of apostle, like he does a pastor or deacon, which are going to now be more the recognized offices of the church? Mm-hmm. No, I don't, he doesn't. Um, I think that, yeah, they were used, again, for a purpose in that time. But uh, that's no longer something we see functioning today in the church. So there, 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 there's a huge question. We read through Acts, and we look through all these different things. I think some of the questions that we're asking here, though— I'm back, by the way. You guys yeah. have one. <laughs> <laughs> like I just I'm going to ask you a question, actually. Well, you can hold that question. Segue uh, to it. Yeah. Because um, now verse 11, it says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually— as he wills. Is some of this discussion that we're having potentially because we're hoping that he is still willing for some of these things to be around, or we're questioning because it seems that there might be some of these things are still around, but it's not yeah. in our church. What's causing us? Can we not just simply say that he's doing it as he wills? Um, is there a litmus test we can give to say, is that fake or is it I think really of God. I, there's very, a reason we're asking this yeah, question. It'd be very easy if the, if the Bible would just say, "Hey, we're not doing this anymore after <laughs> such and such a year." We wouldn't even have this question. But um, because I feel like the cessationist argument puts odds between us and so many Christian brothers and sisters who who have legit reasons for believing God is doing this through them. We have to either assume they're faking it entirely. Or it's of Satan, or it's of God, well, or that it's it's a res- it's a physical response to something that they can't. Or it's a desire. I mean, because there is the thing too. Some have been told in certain traditions in that 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 should be normative, not just in practice, but for every yeah. believer that yeah. should be normative. Yeah. It's approving out of your yeah. faith, so to speak. Um, what does that do? That naturally makes me desire and seek, and I'm going to do everything I can to make it evident that yeah. I possess that gift, and I've, right? I, I've sat because that's there. a mark of a true I've got believer. I've seen that happen. Yeah. I've seen somebody try to teach somebody else how yeah. to speak in tongues, which is ridiculous, because I can't yeah. teach you to have a spiritual gift. You know why? I'm not the spirit. That's how that works. We would all say in here, I guarantee this without even asking them, we would all say in here, if there's a church mm-hmm. or a group of people who, who, who claim Christ who are saying, you must speak in tongues in order to be a Christian, or yeah. this is an evidence of being a Christian for all believers, then they're outside the bounds of or- Christian orthodoxy. Right. We consulted a Pentecostal right before this show who said, um, you know what, this is... That's not something we practice yeah. in my church. That is yeah. way outside the bounds. Yeah. This is not... Well, what Adding we do something is, to the gospel is a no-no. We tend to elevate. Time. That's yeah. one reason I asked the question about, did Paul elevate one set of gifts mm-hmm. over the other, or any singular gift over another? And the answer is no. He was saying these right. are out there and that God uses them as he, he wills. But what we tend to do in our modern culture is we try to elevate a particular gift and say, this shows great sign yeah. of spiritualness because that one gifts going. But Nate, you and I were talking earlier about how ridiculous it would be for me to say 
uh, or for someone to say to me, hey, you're going to prove to me that you're a believer in Christ because you're going to have the uh, wonderful gift of administration. Right. And I'd be like, okay, I'm I'm probably not going <laughs> I'm to heaven then. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I can do administrative stuff, but no one would ever look at me and say I have the gift of administration. Yeah. Um, I can organize things is, and I can do spreadsheets, but man, it's laboursome. Yeah. yeah, it does not come. It, I think that that's a you got to be really careful. I think that like many things, there are going to be kind of pitfalls on either direction here. Right. To say, well, the extremist yeah, the, the, makes yeah, it yeah. hard so for to us say, all. hey, if you don't demonstrate this gift, you are not a genuine believer, or in no way does God work in any sort of a miraculous manner today. God right. does not, he, you know, like, yes, you could go and you can err in either direction when, here. When Paul talks about the body and says, if the whole body were an ear, how would it see? Or, or how would it hear? I think it's the other way around. But mm. re- regardless, like, he's talking about spiritual gifts, not sizes and talents of people. Yeah. And so if everybody had the same spiritual gift, we wouldn't be a body. We'd just be one big body part which would be messed up. So <laughs> there's also this idea of, is there, are there ways that the human body cannot fully respond to a touch from God where we don't truly understand and where we can't fathom it? Um, we were talking before the, the show today as well that um, back in the 60s, there were, there were young girls who would faint, throw themselves up against the fences at the airport, um, even make almost barking sounds and things like that at the sight of the Beatles. They're very entertainment starved. They didn't have social media, everything. They hadn't seen Marvel movies and stuff. It was just, this was a big thing and their body didn't know how to respond to it. And when we see some of these things happening in some circles and we immediately call it demonic instead of, wait, maybe this person just hasn't, hasn't felt this way in so long that they just don't even know how to respond. And um, I do think one of the things that's important to say is, is that there are different people who are genuine believers who are going to view this different. Absolutely. Um, it's not a matter of uh, orthodoxy. It's a matter of where we can think about it. I, I think it's hopefully coming from the scriptures and looking at what it says. I think a big part of that is kind of dismissing the kind of fringes of some of these arguments. Um, but, you know, we were talking about this before we started. Uh, two of my favorite authors... <clears throat> When you talk about different New Testament things, and uh, one, a guy named Tom Schreiner, who's a New Testament scholar, he's going to argue for a, an essentially a cessationist view that says, I don't think this is normative, but I do think that God can and probably still does operate in these ways sometimes. Another one of my favorite, you know, John Piper, I know we've referenced him here and other times, is going to be more of a continuationist. You know, so... And I see these guys interact all the time. You know what I'm saying? So they're good, godly mm-hmm. brothers and people who love the Lord, love each other, and are going to view this different. I think we can help. John Piper just keeps that verse, forbid not to speak in tongues. <laughs> <laughs> I think when we come to it, we have to come to it from the stance of what Scripture says on it and you know, and also the intention of the heart. Why would we want to pursue a specific gift? Um, mm-hmm. And it's not that we're pursuing gifts. Right, it's yeah. God's allowing those gifts to happen for the common good at the moment that we're trying to work in, in the kingdom, and and so uh, we make allowance for any gift that God wants to bring up and, and make happen. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to, as as a congregation, say today we're going to focus on this particular gift, and hopefully somebody in the room will get it. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Um, and so I think it, it just appears uh, as if we're ignoring one throw, list, but we're really not. Yeah. Let me throw yeah. not a wrench in that, but I, I <clears throat> one one thing that kind of my understanding of it, I guess, is that that you can ask God for more gifts. We're never told we're only going to get one spiritual gift. I've, um, one thing I asked God for several years ago was a gift of generosity. I felt like I didn't have it. Um, I gave what I had to give when I had to give, but a lot of it, um, I didn't. I didn't always want to do that. I didn't. Des- I didn't derive um, joy from giving things away, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like God did end up giving me that gift, and in a way that I didn't have it before. Um, not that we're trying to just desire miraculous gifts, like you're saying before, mm-hmm. um, and not that I'm praying over you to give you a specific gift either. I think that there's there's different deviations from that. God knows our heart. I feel like God was laying on my heart to ask for that. Um, but in these, in these circles, like some of these things don't fit in our theology, and, and sometimes our theology is supposed to be the study of God. And so should it fit? <laughs> like should God be able to fit in our theology since it's the study of him and, and he's well, so Well, I, I would say it, it so fits big. in our theology, I think. <laughs> What I would kind of differ on, the way you just described that, and I think we probably agree on it, but the way I would differ is it (laughs) doesn't fit within our comfort zone. It fits within our theology, but it's not within our comfort zone. So if I went in in a particular worship service and people began to start speaking in tongues and I couldn't tell if it was legit or not, I have to come back to what the theology of it is. You know, yeah. and, and, and what's the win in this? Does is it matching up with scripture? And if it matches up with scripture, then I've got to go. Hey, I was a part of a service and people were speaking in tongues. It was awesome. Yeah. So there's a the guy both of us knew, um, a Pentecostal youth pastor several years ago, and I, I felt close enough to him to ask him some of these questions because when you're on the outside of something, <laughs> a lot of times you feel like maybe it'll be rude to ask. So I said, Hey, would you mind if I ask you a question about speaking in tongues? And he said, Sure. I said, um, I noticed like your church has like 150 people in it. And most of them seem to have the gift of speaking in tongues. Why would the Holy Spirit give the same gift to that many people in one body? Isn't that unbalanced? And he said, well, let me ask you a question. And I immediately thought of Jesus, because that's how he answers <laughs> questions, puts other questions. But um, <laughs> thought, you're just pulling to Jesus now. But he said, um, if somebody stood up in your church, and this wasn't Peninsula at the time, but I can say the same thing here. Somebody stood up in your church and spoke out loud in tongues this Sunday. What would the response be, even if someone interpreted? I said, probably somebody in leadership would pull them aside after the service and explain how we practice worship and that it might be confusing to some or whatever. He said, then why would they ever come back? He said, what you have here is people who have gravitated toward one church church because their gift isn't welcome in another. And I said, well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it did make a lot of sense to me at the time that I could see that happening. But then he said, also, we also attract the crazies, the people on the end of the spectrum that are seem like the wackadoodles, and everybody does. Uh, if you think about theology for a second, um, our church happens to be complementarian. This isn't a thing about complementarian, but where we believe that the pastoral role um, has been given uh, to called men of God, and there's other churches who think that, that women are called to do that as well, and it's not a, a quality thing, it's just a role thing. Um, but within those circles, the, somebody who might be like a kind of a staunch feminist who hates men, if she wants to go to church, she's going to go to that church that thinks 
They're egalitarian. That, and, and then that, 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 that chauvinist guy is going to end up at our church. And it, they make it, everybody look bad. I, 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 can, I can track with that real well. It helps me understand why they would end up at a, at a church where it's welcomed. <clears throat> where, to me, that, that argument falls apart just a little bit, mm-hmm. um, is would God have someone who has the gift of tongues ask him to stand up at our church and speak out where it would create confusion amongst mm-hmm. the body. I, I don't know that the Spirit would do that. If, there, um, if but, there was an interpreter present and God was trying to get our attention in some way and we were not heeding the Scripture... Then I would hope weekly. if it was God doing it, the leadership wouldn't pull anybody to the side and say, you're not welcome here. I th- I'm hoping that the leadership would say, we recognize that as something that God did, mm-hmm. and uh, we're, con- we're, we're still trying to figure it out, but we're not going to stop you from that in the future because we recognize it as something from God. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean... Yeah. I'm trying to figure out if wackadoodle is a proper theological term. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> That's a new category for us. Wackadoodles. Wackadoodle. I think wackadoodles are not saved anyway. I've so. got a list. Probably not. <laughs> They're just there to sow discord. There's always that Dude, one. we got a lot of stuff we could do here for several podcasts. I want to end it on what is the role of the Holy Spirit, because I think sometimes we think that we can manipulate the Spirit in a way. Okay, maybe not we. There are those out there. Let me mm-hmm. clarify that. I you say not we, maybe <laughs> just me. I'm <laughs> there are those out there that want to try to manipulate the Spirit. But uh, just a quick list. Uh, he, he's a helper and a teacher. Mm-hmm. In fact, Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Um, he convicts the world of sin. He dwells in the believer and fills us. He's a source of revelation, wisdom, and power. Um, he guides to all truth and to knowledge. So we have these questions the Spirit's going to reveal to us. He gives spiritual gifts. He seals the lives of the believer. He helps in our weakness and intercedes for us. He makes believers new and grants us eternal life. And then he sanctifies and enables good fruits Did you say in our comforter lives. comforter as well, comforts us? Yeah, that was up toward the top somewhere. I didn't use that actual <laughs> word, comforter, but that was there, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's what is, what is the role of the Holy Spirit is it's not like we reach for a tool in our toolbox mm-hmm. and pull it out and, and yeah. use it and say, yeah. you know, um, I, I like the way when we were talking about the doctrine of God, that the, the Father pursues us, Jesus saves us, and the Spirit seals us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it's in that sealing. I would say, that, I would say maybe to boil all that into a nutshell, we, there's many cars in the train of the church, but the Holy Spirit's the engine. He's the one driving the Great Commission. He's the one that is... Right. Are you going to correct that? Yes. It's an analogy, so you poke it, holes It in is it. not. The Father's the one. I think the Father's the engine. I think the Father is the... It's the purpose of the Father accomplished by the Son, applied by the Spirit. He's the one who's making it real to us and happening, but I think the Father's the one who's driving. Just, yeah. That's good. So you would That's make my him... theology mind went a little, you know. But no, well, I was listening. To that one. Could no. the Holy Spirit be the engine and the Father be the conductor? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But no, I think it, it is understanding. Or the train roles. station. I would say more the Father, because the Spirit <laughs> proceeds from Him. We're going to we keep have, going down four on Nate's analogy off here. The rails uh, I'll just stick with that. The Father, the Father <laughs> purposes, the Son accomplishes, the Spirit applies. Oh, this is good discussion. And here's here's the applies goal. Applies and empowers. Would here, you agree with that? Here, here was what I was hoping to accomplish in today's podcast when we're talking about the gifts, um, that the spiritual gifts do exist. 
I call it more of a spiritual gift mix. I don't yeah. believe that believer. I don't believe that those who are following Christ are only giving one gift for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. I believe that there is a spiritual gift mix. It is for the common good. God gives them as He wills, and He uses them for the Great Commission, for His glory to be made known among the nations, and that we should lean into that, and we should make allowance for all the gifts because they are listed in the Scripture text. And uh, so that kind of sets it up, sets the frame up, but the goal of the podcast was we're not trying to avoid some spiritual gifts, Mm -hmm. but it's not on our task to make spiritual gifts happen. We can equip and teach about, but we're. I say that to say this: we're not trying to avoid some and and say that that list just doesn't exist. Does that answer the question? The original question of why do we tend to? I think it does if they're just talking about us. But if they're talking about uh, as a church peninsula, but if they're talking about like why aren't there any spiritual gifts <laughs> test available through any Baptist circles or anything like that that include them, uh, then that question still kind of lingers for them. Mm-hmm. I think a lot think, of it, but, a but lot of it is an- apprehension or cessationism. Well, you can't, you yeah, can't yeah, it's not test just, for the spiritual gifts of yeah, tongues. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's apprehension. I think. It would be there are some people who think it's a genuine thing at a time that we are not a time in which God still operates that way. So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think it has to be a negative. That's an orthodox, faithful view um, that people are. are would you are say making continuationism is an orthodox, faithful view? Yeah, I, okay. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, there, yeah, because there are many who I respect and uh, think a lot of who would hold that position. So if I, I'm you didn't just respect say, and think a lot of them, would it still be an orthodox view? <laughs> yes. It still would be, yes. Because they're orthodox. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's good. This is a good discussion. Hopefully we didn't confuse people and make the water even more muddy and cloudy. So the next podcast will be an interpretation of what we... Yeah, I'm just right. kidding. They're like, wow, 10 minutes in, I thought you all were speaking in tongues. What in the world? <laughs> so it wasn't just about speaking in tongues. I know we use that as the, the hot topic. It was about all of those, yeah. uh, you know, being slain in the spirit, those types of things um, that we're talking about as well. But it's good discussion. Hopefully this opened up for you to go do a little bit more homework. And if you want some resources, uh, we'll be glad to pass those resources on to you of trusted websites and you can go to some websites that are very misleading so be careful yeah. when you're looking into the spiritual gifts about which websites you look into you, because, usually because if there's a there. glittery looking dove at the top and the wings are actually animated really slowly moving you can just move on <laughs> or, or like a, like some trumpets in the corner thank you for that word of testimony <laughs> I, i've seen all those they look like an old myspace page all those they usually have some pretty wonky theology yeah, yeah. so um, but hey, if you've got more questions, if if this didn't clear things up for you and you have more questions, um, just reach out to us. Let's talk about this. We're open to these types of discussions, as you can tell, on an ongoing basis. And uh, we want to learn and walk together with what Scripture says as we walk in the Spirit. We make much of the glory of God. And so thank you for listening to us, and we are prayerful that you have a blessed day. <laughs>